0: on the answer to that question. And oftentimes, we see what we want to see. Uh, Today is Easter, we're celebrating the resurrection, and even with that, people tend to see whatever it is that they came in looking for. And so I want to talk about the resurrection, but I want to do it kind of coming in through the back door, starting with the condition of our hearts. I I think that this is true, that uh, we will never grasp the true meaning of the Resurrection until our hearts are open to the true meaning of the resurrection. Or if you want to look at it the other way, the key to grasping the resurrection is actually the condition of your heart. In Matthew 12, I think it's 38, Jesus has just healed a blind and a mute man. And the Pharisees say, Show us a sign after he just healed a blind and a mute man. In Matthew 16, 1, he's just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and a handful of fish. And they say, Show us a sign after he's just fed 4,000 people with that much food Matthew 27 he's hanging on the cross and the last time the Pharisees say if he'll just come down from the cross then we'll know that he's the son of God and every time when they ask for a sign Jesus says no for Jesus the issue is not a lack of evidence it's a lack of openness and that's what we want to look at this morning this is chapter 13 starting in verse 1 that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the other people stood on the shore. When he told them, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant, Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. So a parable is a story set in real life that has a spiritual truth. So parables are made up. Jesus is making up a story, setting it in a context that the people will understand in order to um, communicate some spiritual truth to them. Um, So cultivated field, path, cultivated field, path. That's kind of what fields look like. In Palestine during this time. So the farmer would walk down the path. He'd have a bowl or a bag of seed. And he would just kind of broadcast. So to the right and to the left. And it would fall wherever it fell. And then it would grow based on the condition of the soil. That it landed in. That idea where he says he who has ears let him hear. Actually better translation is he who has ears better listen. It's It's an imperative. It's a command. Jesus is saying you need to listen to this. Not if you want to. But you need to hear this. Because it's important. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak in parables? He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they don't hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes, otherwise, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. So the disciples said, why are you speaking like this? Why are you using parables instead of speaking directly? And what Jesus says is parables, if you're open, they reveal truth. If you're open to truth, they reveal truth. If you're hostile to truth, they conceal it. So, if, again, if you're, if you're willing to hear what Jesus has to say, then the parables will illuminate. If you're not willing to hear what he has to say, then you're not going to get anything out of them. And so the question becomes, well, what's the point of that? If what you're trying to do is communicate truth to people, then why in the world would you communicate in such a way that the very people who need to hear it aren't going to get it? And that's what this whole little section is about. It's Jesus, it's what we've talked about for several weeks. Everything comes down to the condition of our heart. He's tried direct and it hasn't worked. He has this track record of miracles, eyes being opened and paralyzed people walking and crowd he ha- he's done all of these things and they they still won't say okay we believe you are who you say you are they're still unwilling to uh to recognize jesus's identity so rather than going in the front door he comes in through the back that's what a parable is he's he's trying to counteract the defenses that they've raised to his identity he's putting spiritual truth in a in a way that maybe will they'll understand that they'll grasp that will at least make them curious to explore in um 2 Samuel David's committed adultery with Bathsheba and then he's killed her husband Uriah in a battle and Nathan who's a prophet is told by God this is what David did and you gotta it's your job. You call him on it and that's scary because the king doesn't like what you say. He cuts your head off and so Nathan is what and God gives him this parable. Go to him say this. There's two men one's rich he's got everything one's poor. All he's got is this little lamb and he treats it like his own kid. He feeds it at his table and sleeps in the bed with him. And this rich man has a traveler come and rather than using his own sheep to feed this traveler, he goes and takes this poor man's lamb and kills it and uses it for food. David blows up and says, that guy's got to die. And Nathan says, that guy's you. And that's, that's the power of a parable. It gets in behind the defenses of people who are hostile. That's why he's using them, not in order to keep people from hearing, but in order to try to help people who've already said, I don't want to hear it, from hopefully uh, doing so. So what does this mean for us? Verse 18, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is a seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word that once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. For us, Kind of the takeaway, the condition of our heart determines everything. That's the key. The seed is the same. It's just getting thrown around. The difference is the soil, which is our heart. Same message, different response. And the response is based on the heart that receives the message. So what is this message? You can slice it a lot of different ways. What is the seed or the message of the kingdom? Uh, Jesus' message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's the gospel for us. What we're going to look at particularly is this idea of Jesus' identity. That's the theme that runs through Matthew. Who do you say that I am? Who is this? Um, People asking for a sign for him to confirm his identity. So for us, what we're going to look at is two elements or two two labels, two titles, two roles that you can give to Jesus. The first sermon preached in the Christian church was preached in Acts chapter 2. It's on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the first Easter, the disciples are in Jerusalem, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter goes out and begins to preach. He says, this is who Jesus is and this is why it matters to you. In Acts 2.36, he says this, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. And that's what we want to grab onto, this idea that Jesus is the Lord and that Jesus is the Christ. Lord is King. We talked about that last week when on Palm Sunday, when he enters into Jerusalem, he's making a claim to being the king. He's deliberately fulfilling a prophecy in Zechariah that says, your king will come to you riding on a, on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He does that on purpose. He takes this donkey that is not his, and he says, I can do that. I'm the king. So everything within my realm, within my domain, is mine. So for us, there's a piece there that says Jesus is the king. And if we live in his realm, then he has a claim on our life. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live on it. So if you live in the earth, then he has a claim on your life. Whether you're a Christian or not, he has a claim as the, as the ruler of this earth on your life. And so that's why he can demand obedience. That's why he can demand faithfulness. That's why he can say, this is the way I want you to live because he's the king. He's also the Christ the Messiah, the Savior, the one sent by God to fix everything that's broken. He overcomes sin and Satan and death. On the cross, he paid the penalty that we owe. Leviticus 16 talks about these two different goats that um, at one point are brought before the high priest. One is a goat who's sacrificed as a sin offering. He pays this goat, his, he, he, rep, he pays the price that the people... Um, Oh, because of their sin. He's a substitute for them. Instead of killing people because they sin, they kill this goat. And the goat stands as a, he's a substitute. And there's also this second goat called a scapegoat. And and the priest puts his hands on this scapegoat's head and he confesses the sins of the people on the scapegoat. And then he sends it out into the desert. Sends it away. It says this scapegoat bears the sins of the people. Jesus is both of those. You can read Hebrews uh, in the book of Hebrews, he takes both of those roles. He's a substitute for us. He pays the debt that we owe. The wages of sin is death. So if we sin, then the only way to pay that off before God is, is to die. Jesus takes our place. He pays the penalty that we owe, and he bears our sin. He's both of those things. The lamb, this goat excuse me that was sacrificed, and this goat that sent away. As a scapegoat. That's what it means to have a savior for us. He doesn't just rescue us from being uh, from our sin. He actually pays the penalty that we owe. He pays the penalty on our behalf. I was thinking this morning uh, about people who are resistant. Maybe you're host- Maybe you wouldn't even say you're hostile. But you're resistant to the gospel. This idea that Jesus is who he said he is. Or maybe he is but it doesn't matter to you. For you, the whole concept, it may be irrelevant, this idea of a savior and why do I need one? It just doesn't connect with where you are in life. For some of you, it just seems far-fetched completely. Why in the virgin birth, miracles, resurrection, that stuff doesn't happen. And I would agree with you, that stuff doesn't happen. It just seems too far-fetched. How can anybody really believe that stuff? And maybe if you were honest, you'd say, how can, I don't, I'm too smart for that. Like, I can't, that's Sunday school stuff. That, that doesn't work for me as an adult. It may seem small-minded to you and exclusive, this idea that there's only one way to heaven. You may say, I don't get it. If God wants to forgive people, why can't he just forgive him? How come there has, why does there have to be this sacrifice and substitute and escape? Like, why does it have to be that way? Why can't God just decide, hey, I love everybody and so everybody can come to heaven. Or I'm not going to punish anybody. Like it can seem small for some of us. And what I want to ask you this morning is what's, what's the root of your resistance? If you, what, what's the root? Hostility may be a strong word, but what's the root of that for you? What causes you to say, not for me? If you say, not for me. If everybody is one of those four types. If you can only either be hard soil. Shallow soil, weedy soil, which is crowded, or good soil. If you would say, if I had to pick one, then I guess I'm hard. Not necessarily because I'm angry or because I'm mean or because I'm a bad person, but because I'm not willing to say, yeah, yes, Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is the Christ, and I'll follow him. What is it this morning that's provoking or that's causing that resistance in you? And if you can name that, if you can grab onto that, would you be willing this morning to ask Jesus to soften your heart? There's three facts. Jesus was crucified. No question. The Bible says it, but even if you don't believe the Bible, there's um, extra-biblical historical sources that say Jesus was crucified. The tomb was empty. He was buried in the tomb of a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, who was a prominent member of the Jewish Um, Sanhedrin. He was a religious leader. Everybody knew who he was, and so they knew where his tomb was. And so it was very easy to connect the dots. If the disciples are saying the tomb is empty, then they just say, Hey, Joseph, roll the rock back and let's see. And if there's bones in the tomb, then the disciples are liars and everything ends. The whole message of Christianity started in the mid-30s A.D. in Jerusalem. This movement which became Christianity, was based on the fact that the disciples proclaimed that Jesus was raised from the dead. And it started in the place where he was crucified and during the time when he was crucified, the mid-30s A.D. in Jerusalem. Those three things are facts, Christian or not. And so the question becomes, what am I going to do with those three things? We've said before, we can come up with alternate explanations for all kinds of stuff. We tend to see what we're looking for. Some of you had seen that video before, and so you were looking for the gorilla, and it did not surprise you. You saw it. Some of you had not seen that before, and so you were counting passes, and you completely missed the gorilla. Some of you were looking for the gorilla, and you missed the person rotating off the stage. Very few even saw the curtain change colors because that's not what we were looking for. So when you hear those three facts, again, recognize that your heart is probably, my heart is determining what I'm going to see there. There are alternate ideas. Some people say Jesus just fainted on the, on the cross. It's called the swoon theory. So he didn't really die, he's put in the tomb, and then he kind of revives because the tomb is cool, and he pushes back this rock that weighs hundreds and hundreds of pounds, and then he beats up these two Roman guards, and he comes out, and he's bruised and battered, and he says, I conquered death. And everybody says, okay, you did. Sure, and they follow him. There was a, a report in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 1986, and they, they looked and they said, he was dead. The historical evidence, there's no question, he was dead. The Romans were professionals, they knew how to kill people. He was dead, he didn't faint. They say, well, you know what? Women are unreliable, they get emotional at times, it's dark. Mary just went to the wrong tomb, and it was empty. She just went to the wrong place. Again, everybody knew where he was buried. So if the disciples start saying Jesus is raised from the dead based on Mary going to the wrong tomb, the, all the religious leaders have to do is say, Joseph, he's sitting, on, he's sitting in the room with them. Let's go look. They pull out a body. Christianity never gets off the ground. We know from the book of Acts, the religious leaders were ferociously trying to squash this message. The disciples hallucinated. They so wanted Jesus to be the Messiah. They so wanted Jesus to be the Son of God. They were grief-stricken at his death, and so they just hallucinated. They thought that they saw him resurrected. These are smart people who say these things. Again, show me the body. That's all you have to do. Produce the body. The thing ends. The church never gets off the ground. Stolen body. Who stole it? The Jews, no reason. They didn't want this message proclaimed. So again, the disciples start preaching, Jesus is raised from the dead, that Jesus stole the body. All they have to do is wheel it out. Preaching ends. Remember, all this stuff is happening in Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified just outside. Easy, to, easy, easy to, cut, to verify this. Maybe there were grave robbers. There were grave robbers. Maybe they stole the body. There's no market for cadavers. There's no, nobody's doing organ selling organs on the black market in 30 A.D. You can't take things out and you can't put things back in. They leave the grave clothes that are actually worth money and take a body that's not worth anything. It doesn't make sense. The disciples stole it. The disciples overpower these Roman guards. Okay, it's 11 to 2, so let's say they can do that. Move the stone, they steal the body. And then they go out preaching a lie that they know to be a lie, which says something about their character. The kind of a person who would do that. 10 of those 11, Judas hangs himself, 10 of the 11 left are all martyred for their faith. Most people who have that, whose character is that questionable that they would promote a lie are probably not going to stick to that lie when they're crucified upside down. I think at some point they say, hey, as they're driving the nails in, I was just kidding. What are you going to do with those three things. When you see Jesus was crucified, tomb is empty, this movement started in Jerusalem in the mid-30s based on the proclamation that Jesus rose from the dead. What do you see? If you're saying I, dead people stay dead, they do stay, yes, they do. That's what makes this a miracle. There's been 120 billion people who've ever lived. He came, who does this? Nobody. So what does that say? We all know when we put somebody in the ground, they don't get back up. So if he actually gets back up, what does that say about who he is? If you look at this, and again, you think virgin birth and miracles and death in my place, which I don't even get in resurrection. It seems so far, I don't, I can't. When I look at that, I see a supernatural God who loves people so much, he's willing to become one of us and live and die and rise again in order that we can be in a relationship with him. I don't know what you see. Superstition, legend, folk tale, fairy. I don't know what you see. That's what I see. And I'm asking you this morning, if you can't see that, can you at least pray a prayer with me that says, if it's true, I'll, say, I, I'll see it. If there really is a gorilla on the screen, let's rewind the tape, and I'll, I'll be willing to say, yes, there's a gorilla on that screen. Can you at least pray for God to soften your heart so that if this stuff is true, if Jesus really is the Lord and the Savior, that God could open your eyes to that. If God's not real, if this isn't true, you haven't lost anything. If God is real and this is true, you have the opportunity to gain everything. Just pray with me for a second. Particularly if you're that, if you would say in all honesty, I'm resistant. Maybe you don't want to classify yourself that way. Maybe you have, you have intellectual objections or again, it just, it's irrelevant to you. But for whatever reason, you would say, if I have to be one of those four, then that message is staying on the surface. It's not penetrating deep into my heart. Would you be willing to pray this prayer in your heart with me? God, I don't believe. But I'm willing to believe. If you can show me. If you will show me. The truth here. If there's a gorilla on the screen. I want to see it. If I need a savior. Show me. If you really are. King. Lord. Savior, show me. Soften my heart to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you have already, you've already made a decision at some point. You say, I'm in. I get it. Raised from the dead. I need a Savior. You've grabbed on to him. The Christ part, you get. The Lord part, I wonder about there's... There's four types of soil. There's the hard, we've already talked about that. There's rocky, there's weedy, and there's good. We want to be good. Many of us, unfortunately, fall in those other two categories. Our hearts are shallow. Our roots don't go deep. Uh, We waffle back and forth. We run hot and cold. That's someone who doesn't have deep roots. Uh, I read something this week. A guy said, um, it's not a profession of faith, but perseverance in faith. That saves us. Jesus says. He who stands firm to the end. Will be saved. So sure, there's this idea. That we need roots. Roots in God. That are deep enough. To carry us. All the way through. Some of us. Many of us. If we were honest. We would say. Our hearts are crowded. There's a lot of stuff. Going on. That, com- that competes. With attention. Uh, that competes for attention. In our hearts with Jesus. I think it's in Mark. In this parable. Jesus said it's. Uh, cares of this world, deceitfulness of wealth, and a desire for other things. The cares of, none of those things are necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but all of them can serve to choke out what God is trying to do in our heart and our life. What do you worry about? What are, your, what are your cares? What are the things you think about right before you go to sleep? Do those things push you towards or pull you away from Jesus? Are they choking out what he's trying to do in your life because they take so much of your energy And your attention, deceitfulness of wealth, money promises security, identity, and provision. God promises security, identity, and provision. Money is seductive because it actually can provide those things to a point. So it's easy for us. This is is tangible. This is not tangible. And so it's easy for us over time to find ourselves serving money in some ways. It owns us versus us owning it. We wind up obsessed with getting it and keeping it because we see it as it's more than a tool at that point. Again, it becomes a source of identity for us, a source of security and a source of provision. Again, what's seductive is it can do those things to some degree, but like all idols, ultimately it can't handle the full weight of your life for life. Many of you have personally experienced financial difficulty in the last few years. Be glad you don't live in Cyprus. They'd be taking your money. It's because when you open the bank. It happens. It just. It happens. And if we put our full weight. On what we have. What happens when you don't have it? And then what are you left with? That's the deceitfulness of wealth. It promises something that ultimately it can't deliver. Desire for other things. Y'all have heard. Even the good is the enemy of the best. I think it's Security or it's success for most of us. It's one of those two things that we tend to chase after. Those are broad categories. We tend to chase after those things, and they compete for our time and our attention and our devotion. I'm trying to make a name for myself or build a kingdom for myself or create a legacy for myself or I'm trying to hold on to what I have or protect who I've got or whatever that looks like, security and success. And those things, they crowd out what God wants to do. In our heart, what we want to have, we want to be good soil. We want to be receptive versus resistant. I want to be continually open to what God wants to show me about me, about Him, and about what He's doing in the world. Never, for some of us, it's uh, it's it's almost by the, it's uh, inertia. You already know what I'm going to say before. I'm not telling you anything new. You can preach the sermons. You've been in church forever. You've, read, you've already read the whole Bible, so you know what's coming next in the story. And we kind of get to this point again, it's just kind of inertia. I I just keep doing what I'm doing, but there's not an openness in my heart to anything new. Because I already know everything. I wouldn't say that consciously, but that's just kind of where I get. I have to have this posture that says I'm continually open to new things that God wants to teach me about myself, about him, and about what he's doing in our community. Uh, I talked to a guy a few weeks ago, he said he went to a marriage retreat. And the, the, the folks said there's three pillars for a marriage, commitment, intimacy, and passion. And you can use those same three pillars in your relationship with God. There's commitment. He's looking for faithfulness from us. There's intimacy, that sharing our life with him. Prayer is not information, it's invitation. God, I want you involved in what I'm doing, and I want to be involved in what you're doing. It's passion. That's the emotion piece that for some of us is so difficult, the feel piece. When was the last time you felt joy? Or when was the last time you felt peace? Or when was the last time you felt love? That's one of the reasons we do worship the way we do worship is we actually want you to feel God. Not irreverently, but he's a person. And he moves among us. And we want to encounter him just like we want to encounter one another. That's the passion piece. And all three of those things can help deepen your roots. If, you're, if you would say, yeah, my soil, my heart is shallow. I don't know that I've got roots to go the distance. I do tend to waffle and waver. I do tend to run hot, and run cold. Is it commitment, which is just a decision that you make to stick? Is it intimacy, which is saying, I want God involved in my life. I'm not content to have this distant relationship with an absentee parent. I want him involved in what's going on with me, and I want to know what's going on with him. Is it passion? Again, the feel piece, which is, that's, that's tough for some of us, but that's the tangible, that's the Again, the feeling side of things. Are you missing one of those legs of the stool that can help you deepen roots? Is your heart crowded or is there space? We want to have spacious hearts versus crowded hearts. I can't really tell you what to do on this because it depends on what the weeds are. Don't see the weeds as sinful things necessarily. Just see them as competition for your time and your energy and your focus. Don't fool yourself. By saying this is just a season of my life. But I, don't, I don't see that as excuse here. He's the king. He's always the Can you say to the king. I'll get back to you later. I'm in a busy stretch right now. I don't know that you can. I'm not, not no guilt here. I want you to be honest before the Lord. Is your heart crowded. Or is there space. Now he comes to us where we are. And so when he comes to us, we've got all kinds of stuff going on. And so he just plants mustard seeds, which are really small. If he tried to plant a tree, it would be traumatic to us. Too much clearing. But the expectation is that the seed is going to become a tree. It starts small and it grows big. But you got to clear, I've got to clear the space for that to happen. Is there the space in your life for the seed to become a tree? If you're going to produce 30 and 60 and 100 times what was sown? Is there room for that size of a tree in your heart and in your life where there's so many things competing for your time and your energy and your focus? It isn't happening. Again, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like for you, but I know we live in a community that's all about weeds. It'll, it will plant in any little space you've got. You don't even have to give. It's by default. It takes whatever space you have, and it'll put something there. And we have to be vigilant and digilant, digilant, diligent, 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 and pulling, <laughs> and pulling, uh, pulling. Y'all aren't even paying attention <laughs> to pull these weeds out, or else it'll choke out what God wants to do in you. Ultimately, all of us, I think, we want to be these people who produce 30 and 60 and 100 times what was sown and if you want to know if you're good soil I would say look back look at your wake is there fruit there is there fruit in your life from saying yes Jesus is my king and this is what that has looked like for me this is how I've ordered my life around that this is how I've made sense of my life around the fact that I'm living under the rule and reign of Jesus is there fruit in your life from Jesus being your savior I don't worry anymore I'm not stressed. I don't live under guilt and condemnation anymore. I'm free from this this bad habit. Or I don't snap at people anymore. I was able to forgive so and so. That's living under the reality of Jesus as the Lord. Is there fruit in your life? If there is, then you're moving in the direction of good soil. And we want to continue to see that happen. Let's pray. I'm not going to have ministry time this morning, so y'all kind of follow me in this prayer uh, for a few minutes. First, if you had to pick one of the four, what would you pick? And you don't need to be afraid to say good if it's good. That's what we want. But if your choices are good or crowded or shallow or hard, which of the four are you? And the good news is, you don't have to stay that way. Your past doesn't determine your future. Your response to God determines your future. And so you can respond to him this morning. And places that have been hard can be tilled. And places that are shallow can be deepened. And places that are crowded can be cleared so that we can produce this exponential harvest in our lives and in the lives of those that we're connected with. So God, my prayer is that you would speak to us. We would know, God, I would imagine many of us, if we were honest, would say our hearts, they're crowded. We live in a place that's loud and busy and hectic and it can choke out what you're doing in us so show us what does it look like to clear space and it's going to be different for family to family and it's going to be different from individual to individual and what we do this week might not work next week we we've got to track with you on that god i pray for each of us that there would be space in our hearts and our lives for the things that you've planted to grow and mature and bear fruit god for those of us who if we were honest we'd say i If there's trouble and there's persecution, I'm out. I'm the guy saying, hey, I was just kidding. Lord, I pray that you would deepen our roots in you. God, if it's just a choice, if it's a commitment piece, inviting you into our life, if it's this feel peace, of feeling joy and sensing you near us, just pray, God, for deep roots for all of us, that each of us would stand firm until the end. And again, God, I do want to pray for any who, who are resistant to what you're saying to them. That there'd at least be a willingness to have you plow that hard patch in their hearts. Again, ultimately, what we all want to be. I'm thinking of the, that picture in Isaiah, hopes of righteousness. That's what we want to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with worship, and I want you all to be thinking about this. We want to... Jesus is that's what we've just talked about you know his identity who is he he's the lord and he's the king and he's risen and we want to worship him as such today you're all wearing your fancy easter clothes you get like today is a special day and we want to worship him recognizing today is a special day and we want to worship him accordingly so we're going to sing uh, two songs and then bo is going to dismiss us and i want y'all to I want y'all to give him what you have so you guys can stand and worship and then we'll be done in a couple of minutes.